0: Our next speaker is the president of the American Academy of Physician Assistants. He currently practices full-time in Bakersfield, California, uh, where he does plastic and reconstructive surgery with the Gorman-Burn Center and occupational medicine with Dr. Irene Sanchez. Our speaker is also uh, past speaker of the House of Delegates of AAPA and uh, a man that uh, I've spent a lot of time with in that smoke-filled room, and uh, also at the uh, at the beverage center soon thereafter, uh, having an adult drink or two. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Steve Hansen, president of the AAPA.
1: Wow, good morning everybody. It's a, an absolutely uh, amazing venue, an amazing group. Um, one of the best parts of my job is going out uh, to do public speaking and I've, uh, I haven't unpacked my suitcase for three weeks now and I still go back and practice as much as I possibly can at the burn unit at the Grossman Burn Center at Bakersfield. Um, but I have to tell you of all of the constituent organizations that I attend when I look at your organizational leadership, when I look at your website, when I look at your conferences, um, SDPA rocks. You guys should be very proud. And you know, it's always good to come out and meet with the specialty groups, uh, especially during this time when health care reform is at the center of everybody's attention. And when you look at what we do as specialty PAs, it, it highlights the flexibility of the profession and our reach in healthcare. I've been a PA for 29 years, and I've practiced in seven specialties in my career. And so the flexibility has been important. There are 75,000 clinically practicing PAs in the United States right now. That is one PA for every 10 physicians. In five years, there will be 100,000 clinically practicing PAs in the United States. We can't be ignored anymore. Thank you. And among that group, when you look at PAs who list dermatology as a specialty, it's about 4% when we do the census data, so there's about 3,000 of you. And it looks like the vast majority of you are here today. Uh, That number is likely to grow in coming years as all of the specialty physicians realize how important a PA is to their practice. You know, um, I I was trained in general practice. We were all trained in general practice, and we have proven our adaptability and ability to expand into every medical subspecialty. the healthcare system is changing dramatically right now, and anybody who's watching the news knows that for a fact, and it's going to continue to change in the coming years. Um, PAs will continue to be a critical part of dermatology and other medical specialties, and we really make a difference in the access to care for our patients at every level. PAs in the United States were responsible for 311 million patient visits. Uh, that is absolutely incredible. Um, most dermatologists who hire PAs are recognized uh, that PAs are an ideal fit to their practice in a way to increase both their patient satisfaction and I guess importantly their revenue. Um, uh, I um, work in a surgical practice so I'm always in the surgical lounge and when the other physicians who don't have PAs see the interaction that I have with Dr. Uh, Brandon uh, working together they go, well Can you find me one, too? You know, it just just seems like a good PA is the best advertisement that there is for the PA profession, and just be proud of what you do and who you are. And it's really encouraging to see you all here today united together in one specialty. And at the AAPA, we know a lot about the importance of unity within our profession. Uh, There are different levels of unity, Uh, specialty PA organizations exist to ensure that the interests of all PAs are given consideration when decisions are made, not only within the AAPA but across our profession. SDPA serves as a valuable example to all other specialty organizations which vary in size and level of member involvement and what can be accomplished through unity and a common purpose as PAs. Now specialty PA practice has received a lot of attention within the profession in recent years. Um, Like I said I practiced in seven different uh, specialties. Uh, When I became a PA I graduated from the Stanford PA program in 1981 and at that time when I moved to Bakersfield to take my first job I didn't know any other PAs in Bakersfield. I felt like I was the only PA there and I practiced at a public health department and did general medicine and it just absolutely amazed me as the profession grew how we adapted to the various specialties within the healthcare system and it's going to continue to expand. When I became a PA about 70 percent of us worked in general medicine that would include internal medicine, pediatrics, family practice, emergency medicine, obstetrics and gynecology. Unfortunately that number is about 38 percent now uh, as the physician population specializes, the PA population specializes with them, and one of the things that's important to me within health care reform is that we've got to figure out a way to incentivize people to stay in rural and medically underserved areas, to practice in general specialties, uh, and if we don't, it's going to be difficult to provide care to these people. Um, Now, in September, uh, we had your president, President Kucera, and 24 other PA specialty organizations came to the AAPA National Office. and We are trying to avoid what has happened to organized medicine. Uh, I've spent a lot of time at the American Medical Association House of Delegates as Speaker of the House, and their organization is very, very fractured by specialties. Most physicians see themselves by their specialty first and by their profession second. One of the things that's been our strength at the AAPA is we see ourselves as PAs first and specialists second. And so one of the things that we did in our strategic plan which was adopted in February is figure out a way to keep our specialty organizations in the big tent because in the scheme of things in Washington and all of your state capitals all of the other players within healthcare have much larger packs have many more people in practice, have much larger influence in the legislatures of your state and um, uh, federal government. And if we don't stick together, uh, we'll hang separately. And so we presented a new business model, uh, and I know that uh, your Board of Directors is evaluating that business model to figure out a way for the AAPA and specialty organizations to work closer together. And over the next year, we'll be doing a pilot study with some specialty organizations to try and figure out a way to help them grow. Um, one of the things, which is not true for your organization, by the way, uh, but some specialty organizations, there are more members of the AAPA who are fellow members who um, identify themselves within a specialty than there are members of the specialty organization. And that's one of the things that we need to correct because, as any of you know, you're here today to support. Your fellow dermatology PAs. It's important that you support your profession. It takes money, it takes people, it takes time and effort, and all of those things are important. Um, so, anyway, there'll be more on that in AAPA communications as time goes by. You know, the ultimate shape of healthcare reform is still really unknown. Um, last week was a fairly historic week. Um, we saw the House of Representatives narrowly approve which may be the single most important piece of legislation to impact the PA profession in our lifetime. Um, most of us have probably thought a great deal about health care reform over the past several months. And I tell you, even for me, I've been living, eating and breathing health care reform since I became uh, president-elect and president of the AAPA, and it's almost overwhelming to think about how big a problem it is. And I, some days I wish, and I know that you wish, that we could just tune it all out, uh, but fortunately at the AAPA we have not done that. You know, PAs in this room and around the country have chosen uh, to take an active role in their state chapters and in their specialty organization. And the people that are active within their chapters and their specialty organizations know that there's never been a more critical time to provoke the profession's message. Your leadership in this room, um, your colleagues within your specialty, PAs across the country uh, have sacrificed much time and effort this year to see that PAs are not left out of the health reform debate. Um, this work, staff, leaders, PAs in the grassroots, has led to a near certainty that specific language regarding PAs will be included in the final reform legislation. Now when I became AAPA president, I made advocacy my top priority. I have visited PA chapters and PA programs across this country. I have been amazed at the energy and enthusiasm of PAs and PA students um, towards uh, getting your voice heard in the healthcare reform debate. A prime example of that was at the summer AMA meeting at Chicago, Illinois. President Obama was a featured speaker at their House of Delegates. He mentioned physicians. He mentioned nurses, he mentioned nurse practitioners, but he did not mention physician assistants. Now, our advocacy efforts have dramatically changed at the AAPA. We are lightning fast in response to these sorts of issues. We sent out an advocacy alert to our members, and in 36 hours, we had generated 7,000 emails to the White House, 7,000, and actually ended up about 8,000 when they were said and done. Lo and behold, a couple of days later, President Obama was speaking at the Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C., and it was the first time that a president has ever said the word physician assistant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in in fairness, he put the apostrophe S on it. We're working on that. (laughs) But I I was really, really happy uh, that he put that in there, and I'll take physician's assistant over not being mentioned at all. And uh, he is trainable. We are working on him. (laughs) You know, um, we may all disagree on individual issues in politics in this room and across this nation and in our profession, but few of us would disagree that physician assistants are a vital part of the solution in the drive to expand access to affordable quality health care in America. Thousands of PAs have taken the time to contact the White House and their uh, congressional representatives to ensure that our profession and patients benefit from health care reform regardless of the legislation's final form. I have to tell you, um, our AAPA staff and advocacy and our lobbying group are incredible. Um, they have worked tirelessly meeting with staff, going to the Hill, hosting lunches, advertising in all of the trade magazines on the Hill. we I don't know if you've seen some of our full-page ads, but if you go to aapa.org, you click on advocacy, you can see the full-page ads that we've been running about PAs in the trade magazines that the Congress uh, reads and their staffers read. and. I'm I'm very proud of our staff. These people are absolutely incredible and they deserve all the credit for uh, getting these things into the bills, Uh, but the AAPA has never advocated for a particular form of reform legislation. We have based all of our activities on a list of principles that are critical to preserve access to quality of care. When you look at the AMA and the AAFP, um, they've taken a much more proactive Uh, uh, fight. But we know due to the differences of opinion in our profession, we've focused on making sure that PAs are in these bills. Now, um, that has been really difficult to do. Some of the things we've been working on for a very long time, those of you who have been in the profession a long time know how hard we've worked on Medicare and workers' comp reform and PA program funding uh... but we don't have a dog in the fight supporting any of the bills but the train is coming down the track and what's important as PAs is that if there's going to be reform legislation we need to make sure that the interests of our patients are protected and that the barriers to physician PA practice are eliminated so that we can do their job if we get these provisions into any health care reform bill it's going to improve the access and quality of care of the patients that rely on us so what do we believe in Um, we believe that Congress should invest in expanding the PA workforce through Title VII of the Public Health Services Act. And one of the um, bills in the um, House had also a 15 percent carve-out to incentivize people to remain in primary care. Um, One of the things that I personally feel are missing in health care reform legislation is we Flip the switch overnight, I guess some people are saying that these reforms are probably going to cover about 97% of the American people. Where are the providers going to come from to care for these people? Uh, Nobody has the answer to that question. So, what's been important to me is that any legislation that we have in there, we make sure that we're funding education for all of our health care providers. When you look at the three people that deliver direct patient care, it's physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners. And there's not enough of them out there right now to provide all of the care. The second problem that you see is why do we all go into specialty practice? You know, I've practiced for a community health center, I've worked for Planned Parenthood, I've worked nonprofit, I've worked at the public health department but I'm in specialty practice because I just reached a point where the, the, the lure of it, I love what I'm doing as a plastic and reconstructive surgery PA, but Let's face it, PAs make more money in specialties than they do working on an Indian reservation or working in a medically underserved area. So we need to figure out a way to incentivize people to stay in those areas, either through loan forgiveness, special programs, a heightened reimbursement. Let's value what's important in our healthcare system, and people will come. Second issue uh, has been an issue for PAs for at least 10 years or more, and that has to do with the Medicare restrictions on PAs ordering hospice and home health care. We've been working on this bill every single year as long as I've been in leadership. I'm happy to report that at every level in every bill that's being considered by the Senate and the House right now, these restrictions are gone. And then the problem that we have is that staffers would tell us, oh well, you know, you're a physician assistant, you practice medicine with physician supervision, if we name the physician then you're covered. Well, any of you who have ever worked with bureaucrats know that if you don't have your name in there that says physician assistants are covered and can perform this service, you're not covered. We're not going to do that. And so we've worked very, very hard to make sure that physician assistants are specifically named in the legislation so that there is no ambiguity when the regulations are written. But um, it looks like we're going to get the Medicare provisions. Um, We need to fully integrate PAs into the new models of care, the medical home, chronic care management, and PAs are specifically named in these parts of the bills. In fact, PAs are mentioned 22 times in the House bill that was just passed. And so we are monitoring this very, very closely. And so that's the basis of the legislative agenda that we've pushed at the AAPA. Um, And I honestly believe this. If we fix certain things about how physicians and PAs practice, it's good for patients, it's good for access, it's good for quality care. We've been invited to the White House a lot. Uh, Dan Thibodeau, uh, one of our directors at large, and Jim Carney, who chairs our government uh, affairs committee, uh, was invited to a very high-level um, workshop at, that was hosted by the White House. Um after Obama failed to mention PAs, and they were awash in email, and I don't know what a wash in email at the White House is like, I guess 7,000 is a good number, but you, you, can you imagine how much mail they get? Anyway, it was enough. Uh, Zeke Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel's brother, uh, who heads up the uh, Office of Reform within the White House Administration, invited us to the White House, and I wasn't able to go, so I sent Bill Fenn, who was the Speaker of the House, and he said it's an intimidating experience going to the White House to meet. And... Um, Zeke Emanuel, before we could even get in there to give him a hard time about the President's remarks, he said, I know, I know, we heard you, we heard you. The President has, it knows about PAs, you're in, the legis- you're in our plans everywhere, and I go, yes, but we need you to say it, and it wasn't shortly thereafter that uh, he did, and, and I just was just amazed. Um, It's uh, fitting uh, that the day after Veterans Day, and I I also want to, um, for all of you in the audience here who are veterans, I just want to give you my heartfelt personal thanks for uh, the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. It's fitting the day after Veterans Day... It's fitting the day after Veterans Day uh, to mention that due to the long and hard work of the Veteran Affairs PA Association, Veterans Caucus, uh, AAPA staff, and recent testimony by our own Speaker Bill Finn uh, in front of the Veterans Committee, it looks like a full-time Director of Physician Assistant Services at the Central Office of the Department of Veterans Affairs will finally become a reality, and uh, th- this is huge. <clears throat> But, uh, and you can actually go on to the uh, Veterans Affairs Committee website and um, uh, watch uh, Speaker Finn uh, giving his testimony but you need, we need to be realistic we want our message to stand out among our converging interests with the same objectives uh, and each one of us has to lift his or her voice and carry our common theme of quality accessible health care on behalf of our patients as you may have heard also, the Senate Finance Committee approved a version of the health care reform legislation in October. All of the House bill is in the Senate. Uh, the devil is in the details with this kind of legislation. I just can't even begin. I know how complicated the House of Delegates is, and John and I have spent many a night in a smoky room. I can't even begin to imagine how complicated it is on the Hill. And it's going to take some time for both um, legislators in both House to agree on a sing- single bill. But the committee's approval in the uh, Senate is another step that we are on a path towards action on health care reform. We at the AAPA are encouraged that the Senate uh, included key PA provisions already approved in the House in H.R. 3962 in the Senate legislation and being debated as we speak. Uh, We will stay on top of this issue until a bill with PA provisions is on President Obama's desk. Uh, Another issue that's important, I heard a question uh, about Medicare. I know that you guys um, uh, treat a lot of Medicare patients. Um, The Senate health care reform bill, one of the things that we lost was uh, an inclusion of uh, fixing the Medicare physician fee schedule, which also affects the reimbursement to PAs and other health care professionals who provide care to Medicare beneficiaries. And the Senate was expected to take up standalone uh, standalone legislation to repeal the Sustainable Growth Rate, or as you probably heard it referred to as SGR formula, that is used to determine the Medicare reimbursement. Um, AAPA and other medical organizations have long argued that the SGR formula is flawed and it results in proposed payment cuts that must be prevented each year. Um, the House is expected to follow suit and address the physician fee schedule separately from healthcare reform. It's been really encouraging lately. We have a completely new communication staff at the AAPA. And one of the things that we've been working on, we magazines, you know, you've seen articles, I don't know how many of you saw my um, editorial in Health Report News that uh, was published over the last couple of weeks. We have a communication staff. I'm approving tons of stuff every day and we are just blanketing the media with statements and press releases because if you do it enough, stuff gets picked up. Carolyn Clancy, a longtime advocate uh, for PAs, was recently uh, reappointed as the director of the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Um, Dr. Clancy spoke at AAPA's 2006 annual conference. Uh, we recently sent a letter in support of her reappointment to HHS Secretary Kathleen Sebelius. Secretary Sebelius is also a supporter of PAs and recently took the time to be interviewed by a reporter from our new magazine, PA Professional. and. I thought that was really good. and At every level from advocacy to public relations to communications our strategies are beginning to bear fruit and people are beginning to recognize that PAs are out there and doing good work within the healthcare system. We're a long way from Washington DC and I know many of you are quite thankful of that. Um, as somebody who spends a lot of time in Washington it's simply amazing that anything gets done there, but it does and I think the train is pushing down the track dermatology PAs and all PAs across the nation must make every effort to get involved in the health care reform debate. You know, the AAPA's website, uh, aapa.org, click on advocacy, offers many tools for you to become involved. Um, one of those tools is Capital Whiz. When you go in there, the first time you go in there, you enter in your name, address, um, zip code, uh, information about yourself. It stores on your computer so when you go back there you don't have to re-enter that stuff and every time there's a call for advocacy you basically just click on a link in an email it takes you to that page i always edit the letter to talk about bakersfield and rural aspects of kern county where i live and how this or that affects what i do so it's personalized for congressman mccarthy and uh... for senators boxers and feinstein and you click it takes exactly ninety seconds for you start to finish to get in there contribute to advocacy send a letter to your representatives and you need to meet with your members of Congress. Um, you need to share your experiences. There's nothing more powerful than the stories that you have in caring for patients. There's nothing more powerful than that. To talk to them about how restrictions on physician PA practice affect the, PAs, affect the patients that you care for every, um, every year and every day. You need to do your part um, to spread our profession's mission of patient-centered quality health care. In our political system, power, voice, and movement are about passion. You need to show the passion for the patients that give purpose to your lives. And I am, and I know most of you are pretty tired of hearing about health care reform, but now is not the time to rest. Last week's passage by the House shows us that the wheels are turning, and the efforts of PAs and other health professionals from around the country are being noted. We're asking PAs to contact their Senators to encourage them to include provisions in the Senate bills that would allow PAs to order skilled nursing, hospice care for their Medicare patients. We want you to support Title VII in set, creating set-asides for the funding of PA education programs, and provisions in the Senate bill that integrate PAs into the new models of care, uh, chronic care management and the medical home. All of those issues are important. Simple messages, those talking points are on a two-page document on the advocacy website. You know, we're known more than anything for the good clinical work that we do to ensure quality health care for our patients. We have both an obligation and an opportunity to continue that work beyond uh, the traditional clinical settings to the corridors of power in Washington, DC and the state houses of every state that you reside. And when we do that, it's our patients who are the beneficiaries of that activity. I want to leave you um, with an important thought. In February, I had the great honor to hear um, then Surgeon General nominee, who is now the Surgeon General, she's been unanimously approved, uh, Dr. Regina Benjamin. Now Dr. Benjamin epitomizes what is good about medicine. She has a PA, she has a rural clinic in Bayou La Batry in Louisiana, one of the poorest places on earth. Um, and she came to speak to our group at uh, our constituent organization group in February and she said and I'm always doing this whenever I hear people speak I get my iPhone out and I'm always typing down you know what they say but this really struck me as incredibly powerful she said that PAs are bigger than a profession we are a movement with the potential to fulfill the promise of health care think about that I've been a PA for 29 years I'm working in my dream job as a surgical PA in a burn unit. I get up every morning anxious to get to work. How many other people in other professions can say that? Have you ever looked at the satisfaction of the physicians that you work with? How many of your, how many of your physicians would choose to be doctors again if you asked them? I don't know too many of them. They're just... Uh, there, and then and, and the flexibility of our profession is, is what's made that good. My doc is here in Phoenix sitting for his plastic and reconstructive boards uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. He, he's locked into what he's doing for the rest of his life. He's not going to be a family practice doc. He's going to be a surgeon and I just um, just have to tell you and I, today is kind of a special day and I need, I need to acknowledge something. Um, the thought that a year ago that I would be standing in front of you Um, speaking was the farthest thing from my mind. I don't know how many of you knew Paul Robinson, but uh, he was your president elect at the time. Uh, He was on a leadership meeting to the American Medical Association this week, last year. Um, He was flying home and wasn't feeling well. He was a non-insulin dependent diabetic and Bill Fenn was with him on the plane. Well, he started vomiting and he started to get sick and they took him off the plane by paramedics in Detroit. And he's fine, blood sugar 800, he's got some fluid on his lungs, they're giving him insulin, they're going to admit him to ICU, and he codes and he dies at 2 in the morning. And um, I never want to go through another day like that again. It was one of the most difficult days of my life because Paul was the very best friend that I had in the world. And um, it was interesting, I, I was really, uh, cried for two days and talked about it. And on Friday, I finally go to work, um, work my 12 hours at the emergency room, get off, come to my mailbox, and open up my mailbox, and here's a letter from River Falls, Wisconsin. I go, well, it's probably his wife, Diane, sending me something. I open it up. It's a card that Paul had mailed me and I opened it up and it's a, it's the Esquire piece it's uh... David Brown is a Hollywood producer type and Esquire has this piece what I've learned about life so these you know brilliant Hollywood producer what is a Hollywood producer now but a brilliant Hollywood producer what I've learned about life and on the front of the card it said um, you need the love and trust of a woman you need an abiding sense of humor and you need a job that you love and on the inside my friend Paul had written to me from the other side he said, "Steve, some days I think two out of three of these is a victory. PSR PAC." And um, I just want to honor our friend Paul today. And I'm I'm very it's, there's a certain symmetry to me standing in his shoes. And um, uh, it's it's been a, a very very tough year, but I'm very very uh, proud to be the president. It's been an honor and a privilege to serve as the president. You know, Paul taught me something. He taught me that as much as it is an honor and a privilege, service and leadership at any level is the repayment of a debt, a debt that has accrued from all the good things in life that the PA profession has given me. This profession has given me the best 29 years of my life. It's allowed me to support my family and work beside some of the greatest and most intelligent people in the world, my fellow PAs. Um, we are making a difference in transforming healthcare care delivery in America. Be proud of your contributions to your communities and the patients who give purpose to your lives. Work together with your fellow PAs and help your profession fulfill the promise of health care. Thank you very much, and I would The best part of what I do is I love to interact. So if anybody has any questions about what's going on with healthcare reform of the AAPA, I really um, would be happy to take some questions right now. Yes.
0: I just have a comment. Um, If we want to incentivize people to work in rural areas, we need to work on the ability for PAs to own practices we may have the desire but the inability to do so for various reasons state by state um, they allow ownership to certain percentages or not at all and on top of that Medicare does not reimburse to a PA owned
1: organization which puts a stop on it I think that's a real important point in California we have um, various laws that reflect corporations and I think what you'll find with Medicare that's a federal issue that um, we're certainly aware of, and I think it's an important issue. Um, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico in, um, a couple of months ago. I can't even remember exactly when. And one of their big issues is that because Albuquerque is so rural, we have um, a lot of nurse practitioners. Now, there's 13 states that allow independent practice for nurse practitioners. My state, California, is one of them, and I'm not sure about Arizona here, but I know um, New Mexico is and they're, they're having a difficult time competing in New Mexico because the nurse practitioners are going into these rural, doctors are retiring, the nurse practitioners are taking over the practice, so it's a big issue. Uh, in California, the way that it works, um, we can uh, develop a medical corporation. The medical part of it has to be 51 percent physician, 49 percent PA, but how you divvy up the money is a completely separate profit-sharing issue. Uh, but physicians have to maintain control of that, uh, and there are ways to do that but if you can 't get reimbursed it 's hard to do it if you can 't get paid for it and I think that 's an important point and i 'll make sure to keep that on the front burner yes
0: i don 't know if you saw the recent money magazine uh, article that had the you know the top one hundred <laughs> professions in a recession proof you know uh, world, and physician assistant was number three for the the top I think it was job. number two. Or two is it two and the nurse yeah. practitioners were number three. So yeah. I thought that was pretty remarkable.
1: That, that came about as a result of our communications department. One of the things that we did the previous president, Cindy Lord, we went to, I believe it was I'm not sure if they met in Washington or in New York, but we hosted a lunch where we got together a bunch of editors, people from Money Magazine, people from O Magazine Oprah Winfrey's people, and we brought them together and one of the things that I've been doing a lot of is every time I go to Washington, Howard Glassroth, who is our Vice President of uh, Communications, sets up what are called desk-side interviews. The last time that I was in um, uh, uh, Washington, D.C., I met with Jada adami She's the health writer for the Wall Street Journal. And I met with a reporter who writes for the Examiner Group. And the whole goal there is to educate them about PAs, help them to understand how PAs interface within the healthcare system so when they write articles about healthcare workforce they think PAs and so we're con- you know it takes a long time to build up steam we have been out of the media presence really for years because we've been flying under the radar it's only in the last 2 years since bill Lineweber has become the executive vice president of the academy that we've become extremely aggressive in our communication strategy but these sorts of things that are happening now are a result of what we did, you know, eight, ten months ago and we're doing more and more of it all the time. I think you're going to find that PAs are going to have a much more dramatic media presence in the coming years because of the groundwork that we're laying now.
0: Steve, you touched on it a little bit. Can uh, you go a little bit more into uh, the the presence, the media presence, and the branding uh, that came about—they were talked about. Anybody who's been to the AAPA website in the last couple of months sees that there's, you know, there's some sweeping changes in the website, the design of the new logo. Um, can you go a little bit into the, the the rebranding of AAPA? Thank you for that question. Um, part of our strategic plan, uh, Cindy
1: Lord, our previous president, uh, was a real uh, force in this and one of the things that she wanted to accomplish in her presidential year was a strategic plan. Um, Any of you who have worked in AAPA leadership in the past, we used to do what are called strategic management directives which were kind of these quasi-goals that really didn't tie together in a strategic plan and for the first time uh, we developed a strategic plan. One of the things we did with the specialty organizations was part of the strategic plan. Uh, We're working on advocacy obviously uh, we worked on setting up a research summit, and we can talk a little bit about um, uh, research later. But, but the branding initiative was critical uh, in showing that we were changing uh, our. I don't know how many of you have been on the old website. It was just maddening. Even for those of us in leadership, you could never find anything. The searches didn't work right. It wasn't organized. It was just kind of mishmashed together. And so um, the website the logo. uh, We hired a, a firm that has experience in doing that. We completely redesigned everything, keeping our same color schemes which were blue and gold but everything about the website was to simplify it and to make it better, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, we've had some problems with the rollout of our website related to uh, what's called IMIS, I-M-I-S. Our, we have a industrial strength membership software that it, we had difficulty interfacing with the website and all of those problems are being worked on. But the whole goal was to uh, bring the website and our image into the modern uh, era and to, you know, demonstrate innovation, uh, excitement. And it, it was funny when we had the board meeting they, to adopt it, you know, it's kind of the trains left the track. We've already spent six figures on this process. And then, you know, people you know, on a typical board that we are, you know, we want to, well, well how would it look with this color or that color, you know? And, and I'm a PA, I'm not a marketing specialist. I'm not a graphic artist. I know nothing about color. Uh, I can't even dress myself, you know, <laughs> in the appropriate colors. But it's just funny that we adopted it and we went forward with everything. And, uh, and it, it really, I think, sends a message uh, that uh, we uh, are innovative and forward-thinking. Our tagline, um, connecting PAs, transforming care, you know, bringing PAs together, uh, fulfilling the promise of healthcare, transforming healthcare in a positive manner. Um, uh, it, we, those were all part of the marketing and branding campaign. So we can talk about that some more.
0: There have been some recent changes in the board recertifying exam with the option to take the exam with a certain focus and dermatology wasn't included in that list. Can you tell, tell us why and what the goals are with that?
1: Well, if, if you can figure out uh, the reasons why the NCCPA do, does anything, I'd really appreciate a call. Um, <laughs> Now we, we have a wonderful relationship with the NCCPA. Now people a lot of times um, get the misconception that somehow the AAPA and the NCCPA are one and the same. And I was speaking with the orthopedic uh, PAs in October uh, here in this city in Scottsdale, in fact right across the freeway. And that question came up too. Well. Uh, didn't the didn't the AAPA create the NCCPA? And I've had my research people go back, and I do believe that we realized early on, and the AAPA was instrumental in setting up our certifying body because we thought it was important that we have a central standardized certification process. But the NCCPA is a completely independent organization. Now we appoint people to the NCCBA board. Uh, when they go to the NCCPA they become their board of directors even though we appoint them they don't report to us we don't control them we we try to influence we have a good working relationship with staff to staff with the NCCPA i know all the people on the NCCBA board that are pAs and we work closely with them and so this specialty issue was in my perception a marketing issue it came about that people want some way to um, Credential differently than general medicine, and the orthopedic surgery PAs. He says, "Look at, I haven't practiced general medicine." Uh, for 20 years, and it's getting harder and harder and harder. And, and I really have only recently practiced general medicine. I made, did a lot of specialty work, general medicine. I'm in my fifth recertification cycle now. I've always been able to pass the test. And it was kind of interesting. At the orthopedic surgery, uh, PAs, another person got up and says, "Yeah, but you need to know general medicine if you're going to be taking people to surgery." <laughs> so I think that there's something really good about our generalist training in, in that regard. And so. I'm a specialty PA. I've been credentialed at four different hospitals. What do hospitals want? Hospitals want to know how many central lines you put in. Can you put in a chest tube? How many times have you assisted at surgery? And so when my hospital credentials me, they want to see my proctoring forms from my previous experience. And on the AAPA website, I don't know if any of you have looked at the Professional Development Portfolio I know I'm getting that wrong but it's on the front page and what it is is a free service with your AAPA membership that you can log procedures so if you do biopsies in your practice or you do dermabrasion or you do laser you log those and now I've got a list this long of assisting at surgery, harvesting uh, split thickness skin grafts, uh, putting in central lines. So the next time I go to credential somewhere, I've got my list and I can slap it down and, you know, here's 150 cases and the dates and the, the details and stuff like that. So this test will allow, I believe it's psychiatry, um, and I'm, was dermatology included in that? Dermatology is not included in One of the reasons they chose psychiatry, because we asked them about that, we're going to psychiatry, they're trying to stimulate PAs uh, going into that specialty, so they thought that the way to do that was to provide special knowledge, but as you all know, even those of you who have taken and passed the NCCPA recertification exam numerous times will know it tests the body of book knowledge, and I tell you what, I want people able to pass that test who are taking care of me in the hospital, so but does it make you a good or bad PA? Does it provide you the credentials that you need to practice in emergency medicine or dermatology or psychiatry? And so that's gonna be the thing. My big fear is that credentialing systems, whether they be through um, insurance companies, hospitals, are gonna latch onto that and say, you can't practice here unless you have a, a psychiatry certification. And we've proven that PAs have done well with flexibility. We've done on-the-job training. Uh, Talking with a friend of mine, Dana Gray, who's a cardiothoracic uh, surgical PA, his doctor used to be willing to train people, and one of the things they're coming up in the APA CVS is that the docs don't want to train you how to do the procedures. And so CVS? I don't know if any of you saw on the web, they have that um, June workshop, just wonderful. You know, dog lab, uh, central lines, chest tubes. So you could go to a training program, get a certificate that says, I can, I've been trained in these skills, and I can take that to my medical staff office, and they'll go, oh, this is good. So I think, you know, the AAPA is very, very sensitive to that. We recently did a hospitalist boot camp where we brought in nurse practitioners and PAs, uh, and it was overwhelmingly successful. They had a huge crowd of people and a huge interest come to Washington for five days and learn everything that you need to know about being a hospitalist PA. And so you're going to see more and more of those types of trainings, hands-on trainings, because that way you can take a piece of paper back to your practice and say, I've been trained to do this. Any other questions? Why here, I'm the only thing standing between you all and the break. And so I really want to thank you for your time and your thoughtful questions, and I really appreciate the the opportunity. Thank you.